Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, well, this morning, we are kicking off a new series called Creed. And uh, with that, um, we're going to be spending the next 10 weeks uh, looking at the concept of the old Roman Creed. If you've been in church for a long time, um, you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Um, and so, uh, but the elements of the old Roman creed are found in all of those. And we're going to be looking at this. And the reason we're going to be looking at this is because this is vital um, for us to be able to move forward in our relationship with God, uh, to know what we believe and this, why it's important. Not just why we believe it, not just the scriptural precedents and, and the stuff where we could begin to tell people um, what it is we believe. Um, but why it's important, why these elements are, are vital, why they're crucial to us growing in our relationship with God. And so if you've got your, if you've got your Bible app, you've got your bulletin, you've, you found it on your seat near you, however it is you're going to track along with us, let's go ahead and jump into this, this idea that what we believe is the framework of our relationship with God. Please notice, I did not say that the, the, our creed or what we believe, what we're going to get into, is the framework of our religion. That's not it. Now, other religions may have a creed. They may have a way of things. But ours is the framework of our relationship with God. It's, the, it's how we connect and how we see God. And the truth is, is that all relationships in your life are governed by your personal creed, and you have one. You have a personal creed that governs your interpersonal relationships. Now, you've probably not written it down. You probably don't have it in a notebook somewhere or cross-stitched on a pillow at your house, your own personal relationship creed, but it, it does exist. It does exist in your heart, and, and there'll be elements to it. Some of you, part of your interpersonal relationship creed will be have the concept, the belief, that relationships are worth the effort. Um, that yes, there'll be pain, yes, there'll be misunderstandings, but when it's all said and done, um, it, it's worth pressing through, it's worth the effort, it's worth working on relationships and, and daring to have new relationships and connect with new people. And if that's part of your personal creed, it guides you. When you walk into a room with new people, it is leading you and guiding you. In that, it's the framework with which you engage. You may have had a lot of pain and disappointment, and you may have developed a different kind, a different element to your personal relationship creed. You may have a different creed written in your heart that has to do with people, and you may have it that, that people will hurt you that all relationships eventually dissolve in a place of pain, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships, um, that people will hurt you if you give them the opportunity to hurt you, that your own personal experience, the experience of people in your life has created that creed, that belief in your heart, and so you are very reluctant 
to step into new relationships. You're very cautious to be able to connect. And, and it's being guided by a set of beliefs, whether you are conscious of it or not. It's, it's there. Maybe you have a blend. Maybe you have some other things. Well, our personal beliefs, our creed, it's guiding our relationship with God. And so that's why it's important to be able to get into this. Another reason why it's important that we look at this creed um, is because this is a, the fabric of where you go to any place that embraces Jesus as Savior, any place that says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by him, embraces the Bible as God's word, they're going to say yes to the elements of this old Roman creed. Now, they may sing very different songs than we sing, they may show up for church dressed differently than we show up for church. They may have some wording that they do. They may choose to read the scriptures in a different translation than we are going to be exploring this morning. But the elements of this old Roman creed connect us all. They connect us all. These are the things that are vital. One day in this space, the songs we sing will change. It will shift it will move. Why? Because they're not built on our creed. It's not part of our creed to be able to say we want to sing songs that have like a modern tune connected with them. That's not part of our core creed. And so our, our congregation, we like to do that, but that's not part of our creed. Our creed is the stuff that has stood the test of time. In fact, um, Believers throughout, not just the centuries, but the millennia, have connected with this creed. If you've been in church for a long time, you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed. And um, if you grew up in a church that's, you know, that maybe set it together, had some sort of congregational uh, reading, um, and um, then you've said it a lot of times. And if I started it, you, you, could, just, you could just pick it up. Um, and it's a, it's a great creed. It's longer than the old Roman creed. Um, and so, but all the elements of the old Roman creed are found in the Apostles' Creed. But that creed um, dates back to about year 340, okay? That's a long time ago. A lot of history to that, okay? But still with that, that's, that's hundreds of years after Jesus walked the earth and taught. Um, maybe you like the Nicene Creed. Maybe you've been exposed to that at the First Council of Nicaea. That too goes back to around 325 AD, um, centuries after Jesus walked the earth. The creed we're going to go through, the Old Roman Creed, dates back, it's, it's the oldest they can find it, is year 125. Okay? To put it in perspective, um, the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, and plus uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, um, uh, he uh, wrote John 3.16. He, he was there in the mix. He died in year 100, okay? So this dates back to people who understood what Jesus said. He talked. This is not just his followers through hundreds of years later cobbling together some stuff. No, this is stuff that the earliest believers connected with, owned, and said, this is the framework with which we connect with our Heavenly Father. Guess what? This is the framework, which if Jesus doesn't come back soon, then guess what? 
believers for the, for the decades and maybe centuries. I pray not. Um, but we'll continue to believe. This is the fabric of what we believe. And that's why it is absolutely vital that we get into it. But then as we get into the big picture of creed, each element, we also got, have to go back to that four-year-old's favorite question. Why? Why? Why is the sky blue? Why does our church have a stage? Why do I have to go to the nursery? Why can't I have seven donuts? Why can't they all have sprinkles? Or are there no dinosaur donuts? It's just why, 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 why? Well, guess what? That why is wired into us at an early age because God wants us to be inquisitive. He wants us to know. Our beliefs are not something that we turn our brains off and just take some sort of place of indoctrination and, and, and get in line. No, the Holy Spirit wants to bring revelation and understanding and, and why this is vital. In fact, that is kind of, kind of the heart of even why the Gospels were written. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 says, Many um, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke is not trying to give Theophilus new information. He's like, I want you to be certain of what you've been taught. I'm taking the time to put this down put this on parchment and save this so we can look at this so you'll know the certainty of what we've been taught. That's why it's vital that we go through and look at the, and look at the old Roman creed. I want to real quickly, I'm just going to go ahead. We won't read this every week, but I just want to go ahead and read through the old Roman creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. These elements are core across denominations, across different ways we worship as believers, across the millennia and the century. These are the core fabric that help us have the framework to grow and to connect our relationship with God. And the very first one, the very first leadoff, the very first belief that's critical begins to make sure that the rest of them come in proper alignment and have the proper view is this, that God isn't simply a powerful being. He is our Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in God, the Father. See, it's important 
that we don't just see God as some awesome being that exists out in time and space somewhere. We have to, it is vital for you and I as believers to understand that the God of the universe is our father and to connect with him as father. That we don't just say, I believe in God. Christians, that's not what we say. We don't say, I believe in God. We will say, say I believe in God, the Father Almighty. That it's not just he's God, he's my dad. He is my father. This element is absolutely vital. In fact, Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he opens up this element. You and I, we've grown up in a Christian culture, okay? Now, if you're new to church, awesome. Fantastic that you're here this morning. There's room for you. If you've got doubts and questions, you've got a seat with your name on it. We love it. We love you're here, okay? But for those of us who've been raised in this and believe it and have owned it, God as Father has been part of that culture. We've talked about it. It's been forever. We've, we've read the Lord's Prayer, which is really a model prayer. It teaches us how to pray more than it is words we should say. It's the concepts and the attitudes and the subject matters that we ought to be praying about. Um, but if you want to pray it word for word, that's great too. And so, but Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, um, they asked. Now, these, were, these apostles, they are Jews. They grew up in a super religious culture. They've prayed their whole lives, but they noticed that there was something different when Jesus prayed. It's like, we've been praying our whole lives, but Jesus, when you pray, it's like we don't know how to pray. It's like, we're doing it wrong. Teach us to pray, is what they said. And so he begins to teach them to pray in Matthew 6. Verse 9, he says, okay, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Boom. Their minds can't, they're blown with the idea that he says, call him Father. They were used to Jehovah. They were used to Yahweh. They were used to those things, the idea that he was in heaven the idea that his name should be hallowed, it should be praised, that was very understood. We get it. He's in heaven. He, his name should be revered and praised. We get that. But that that person who's in heaven and is revered and praised is Father? That blew their minds. Jesus says, if, when you pray, when you go to pray, understand, approach him every time, all the time, as Father. Always connect with him as father. But for some reason, there's some spaces where sometimes we feel like, I don't know if I have the right to call him dad. I want to remind him that he's the, the loving one, the forgiving one, the all-powerful one. And we can connect, try to connect with him on a different level. And he wants us to call him father. One of my favorite stories to tell that, kind of shows that somehow the way we're wanting in the moment will determine how we interact, um, was years ago uh, with our two youngest daughters, Colin and Preslin. Colin was about four years old at the time, and Pressy was about two. I was in our dining room and working at my computer doing something, and, and then all of a sudden out of the living room, um, I hear the, this just little girl scream, 
and then crying. And you tell, it's that pain scream. It's not, I'm mad, I'm irritated, it's, I'm, I'm hurt. And I don't know which one of the two is, is hurt, but one of them's hurt. So I go to get up, and as I'm moving, all of a sudden I hear Colin's voice, who's not screaming in pain. So she's fine. It's little Pressy who is the one in pain. And Colin comes around the corner, and her eyes are big, and she's ready to engage with me. And her first words out of her mouth was, Pastor Brandon. Are you kidding me? She'd never called me Pastor Brandon in her life. But what had happened is, is we had a little rocking chair in our living room, and she was rocking. Pressy got close, and she rocked on her little sister's toes. And that was the scream. That was the pain. And Colin was the one that did the rocking. And as she was coming to deal with the father of the kid, she hurt her sister. She felt somewhere deep in her little four-year-old heart that the first words out of her mouth was Pastor Brandon. And so, and I don't know what the deal was. It should have been daddy. It should have been that. I don't know if she wanted to remind me, you're a pastor and the way you handle this, you could lose your job. I I don't know if she was just, what was on her little mind? But her first words was Pastor Brandon. And I'm like, but in that space, in that space where she was the offender, all of a sudden she wanted to, to reach out and call to my minister side. To say, okay, you need, I need your forgiving. I need your grace. I need all of that, which that should have been included in dad. It should have been included in dad. That's why, that's why Jesus taught us to pray and said, you need to see me, see our heavenly father as father. Why? Because love, grace, all of those things are automatically included. They're automatically in there. When you go and talk to your heavenly father, you put that framework that he's not talking to a subject. He's not responding to, to some servant. He's responding to a child. And that is who you are. We have been born into the kingdom of God. We're his children, and he wants us to respond that way. Whether you feel like you have been the best child of God or not, all of a sudden you've hurt another child of God, and all of a sudden all you want is you just hope for some forgiveness. You just hope for God to be able to be gracious. But you are dealing with your father. You're dealing with your father. Now, I understand for a lot of people, that's a, that is a loaded word. In our culture, it's a loaded word. And I get that. I understand that. I got raised by an amazing father. I'm so thankful for that. But I know that a bunch of you did not. You did not get raised by an amazing father. Maybe had one that wasn't even there at all. But here is what I know is true. Is whether your dad was good or not, there is an image alive on the inside of your heart of what a good father looks like. And maybe you said, my dad didn't, wasn't that at all. But there's an image alive that says what that is. And our heavenly father put that there. And I don't care how much pain an earthly father creates, it's miraculously, it cannot snuff out what our heavenly father placed on the inside of us. 
Some of that is where your anger comes from because that image of what a good daddy should be and your daddy didn't do it. And the disparity between the two makes you mad. I want you to begin to let go of that and hold on to that image of what a good daddy looks like because you've got one. You have one of those. He's your heavenly father. He cares about you. He won't abandon you. He'll stay with you. He's, he's, he, he cares about you. And you have to embrace our framework. It, none of it works. The rest of it, we go, through the, we go through the rest of the creed and we don't have that he's our father and we don't get the rest of it right. We don't. That first brick is vital. We cannot get a good even, even um, foundation unless that cornerstone is laid right. And him being father is critical it is critical to that. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 6, and we have one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In 2 Corinthians 1, he writes, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Guess what? In this world, there's trouble. Sometimes we're the source of it. I don't know about you, but I've needed comfort, not from trouble that somebody has done to me, but from the trouble I've caused and the guilt and the shame of me not being who I needed to be in that moment was so weighty. I needed a father to come along, a heavenly father to come along and say, son, that doesn't define you. You being my son defines you. My love for you defines you. And comfort me in my trouble, some of it trouble I caused. Certainly God comforts us in trouble that gets caused to us, absolutely. But in that space, when we receive his comfort, when we let him be father to us, that is what empowers us to be who we're called to be in this community. How can we comfort somebody and be able to be the, the salt and the light in the world, to a hurting world, if we've not received the comfort we ourselves need from our heavenly father? This is the whole ministry paradigm. It all hinges on this. Otherwise, all we are is people out there trumpeting some sort of religious doctrine and telling people they're wrong and we're right. When what shows the heart of a father is saying, I wanna be part of what's wrong in your life. I want to get into the middle of the wrong. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm telling you wrong happens, and I'm going to be a part of it, and we're going to get in the middle of it, and the Father that loves me is going to love you through me, and we're going to be a part of this and get this moving forward. That's what transforms a society. Being able to thump our chest and decree what we believe, man, a recording can do that. The only ones that can be real image bearers are those who have the image of God, our heavenly father stamped on us. We're not servants made in the image of the master. We're sons and daughters made in the image of the father. And we have to have that clearly as our framework. See, God wants us to talk to him 
like he is our daddy. And Jesus himself modeled this. We talk about having to receive comfort and trouble and during our trouble. We have to talk to him about, about, talk about calling him daddy. Jesus lived this out in his physical body. Let's look at this. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And this is Jesus and his disciples on the night, the night he's betrayed. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Jesus is being raw and honest about what's going on, that his soul is overwhelmed to the point he feels like it's going to crush him, that it's going to kill him. And where does he go? Within that trouble, he goes to his heavenly father and let's look and see how he talks. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word and it is one of those monosyllabic words. The best translation of Abba is daddy or papa. That's the best translation of it. And Jesus, it's one of those early words that it doesn't, it's not hard for a little baby to say. And here, that's how Jesus responds to father and calls on him. Calls on him in the most simple, childlike name. It takes zero sophistication to say. If you can utter any kind of words at all, you can say it. And that's how Jesus says, he, he says, Abba, Father. Folks, we have to get this. We have to get this down, that that is how our heavenly Father wants us to connect with him. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this come from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was able to trust him by yielding his will, knowing that he was yielding his will to someone who loved him. You will never trust someone you don't believe loves you. Never. Never. And if we don't believe God loves us as Father, we can't do the rest of it. We can't trust him in a deeper level. I don't know if you... I uh, have uh, um, read the book or seen the movie, um, The Shack. Um, but it's, uh, if, it's, if you read the book, it's, it's a hard book to read, especially for parents. You just muscle through the first 80 pages. Um, and so, but it's, it's just a deep, rich book. I know there's, it's a little controversial on some, in some different circles, but um, I really got a lot out of it. And a lot of people I know have got a lot out of it. And and um, if, if you're not a reader, watch the movie. It's solid as well. But in that, there's a guy who's dealing with significant pain, significant trouble. And he's married to this lady who has a strong relationship with God. And her prayer, she always refers to God in her prayer and just talking about it as Papa. She calls him Papa. And then annoys her husband. And annoys that she has this little pet name for God, and 
by the end of the book, he understands who Papa is and is able to get it. And it's one of those critical pieces to be able to get the fullness of his love and what he wants to do in our lives. We gotta understand he is father. Paul understood it. In Ephesians 3.14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. He doesn't kneel before the great powerful God. When he goes into prayer, he has on his mind, he's talking to his father. See, our awareness of God as father sets the tone for every interaction we have with him. Romans 8.15, the spirit we receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There are moments in our lives that we desperately need the Holy Spirit to give us the nudge that says, guess what? He still sees you as kid. Still call him father. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where your mind went. I don't care what slipped out of your mouth. I don't care any of that stuff. He's still daddy. He's still daddy. And there's some places where we can find ourselves in some dark holes spiritually that we need the Holy Spirit saying, I don't care what else is going on. He's still daddy. Still call him Papa, still call him Abba, still call him Father. And that's why the Holy Spirit gets placed in us from the very beginning, our very first spiritual breaths. We have the, have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us so that we will interact with him as Father. Because if not, you and I will get back into some sort of religious mode We'll get back into some, some sort of thing, and that's not what we're called to do. In fact, every epistle, every letter written in the New Testament talks about God as Father. Every one of them, except for Third John. But First and Second John and the Gospel of John all refer to, Jesus, to, to God as Father. And so everyone who sits down and writes and is inspired by the Holy Spirit makes sure that God as Father is referenced. Ephesians 1.17 says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What are we knowing better? Our Father. That is what this is about is about growing and understanding our Heavenly Father. That is why it's not just a cute little bumper sticker worthy thing to say that it's not religion, it's relationship. It really is relationship. It really is. Our bottom line this morning is this, that knowing God as Father will help you go further. Until you get that down, your relationship with God's gonna be stuck. And so whatever it takes, study it, do a word study, talk to some other people who have a good relationship with God and talk specifically about the Father heart of God. I'm telling you, if you're getting stuck there, you can't just bypass it. This is critical. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.